Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. If you have your Bibles, please pull them out. We're going to go to a few verses today, to a few passages, and uh, we will be familiar, some of us, with this. But let's start off with 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Read nine, the first nine verses there. And to give you some context here, Paul is writing a letter to some Christians that meet in Corinth. He is encouraging some Christians to give in an offering with finances that would be collected and given to the Christians in Jerusalem. The Christians in Jerusalem, we read about in Acts, particularly Acts chapter 2, they have given so generously of themselves and they're in lack. And so in this, uh, this region, Paul is addressing the lack and he's saying, come on, let's give, guys, we can do this. And I all, might also add that in the region, he is going to refer to the Philippians, excuse me, the Macedonians, the Makedonskis. And the Macedonians were in the northern part of the region, and in the south of Nicaea was uh, the church at Corinth. So the church at Corinth, the Corinthians, were familiar with what was going up north, and they were under some affliction. Uh, just to paint the picture as we read together. He writes in verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Verse 6, accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Can we pray? Father, we ask your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts that we would see the beauty of Jesus and what he's saying to us in this season. For your glory we pray. Amen. Um, as I just read that passage, what was it that Paul wanted the Christians to know? Verse 1 tells us, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's what he wanted them to know, about the grace of God. 
He pointed to the Macedonians, he pointed to their affliction, he pointed to the joy, he pointed to an overflow, but that was all a big picture of the grace of God. If you're taking notes, write this down. Be governed by grace. Be governed by grace. Um, I'm going to read through a little bit more, and you're going to see this word grace pop up. Are you ready? Verse 4. They, they were begging us earnestly for the favor, or that word actually is charis, which is translated what? Grace or gift. Your version might say gift. Begging us earnestly for the grace gift of taking part in the relief of the saints. Verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he has started so he should complete among you this act of Grace, very good. Verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. It's all about the grace of God. Let's go to verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know it, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. The grace, to be governed by the grace, be governed by the grace of our God, not by the works of our flesh. Whilst there were actions that were given here, and Paul was not just bragging, he was provoking the Corinthians to do good based on what the Macedonians were doing. It was all a picture about the grace of God. Can I please have um, that plant brought up, Mr. Charlie? Aren't there some wonderful plants all around us today? Didn't the team do a great job? Josie and Connie and Peter and whoever else. did a, That's a half-hearted applaud, I reckon. We could do better than that. They did great. <laughs> okay, Mr. Charlie. Put it about there. That is beautiful. Isn't that lovely? Imagine this, that Paul is writing a letter and he says, we want you to know about the grace of God, which in a sense acts as an umbrella. You know, your life is covered by the grace of God. You, it really is. One day, we're going to see how gracious God has truly been to us. We think we know, but we really don't know how good the grace of God is. But imagine this, that we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that covers. And um, in a severe test of affliction, there was um, overwhelming joy. And there was incredible poverty that overflowed. With generosity. Let's read that again. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. It all started off with affliction and hardship, but in the midst of that, in that lack, there was still joy. And from that joy flowed what? Just this incredible generosity. 
Have you ever put fertilizer on a plant before? Or manure on a plant? <laughs> it stinks. It stinks. Who likes it? It's dirty. It's disgusting. It's gross. But it helps promote growth, doesn't it? You see where I'm going with this? Anyone covered in manure at the moment? Affliction? Anyone covered with a bit of hardship? Trial? Tribulation? Have a guess what? From it, joy can come. And from it, an overflow of generosity can come. That's the beauty of God. See, when we look at the cross, that's what this is all about. Really, it's all about Jesus and the cross. We can't forget that. When we look at the cross, a cross was a picture of absolute affliction, absolute torment, absolute trauma. But from that, beauty came from the ashes. We heard a great testimony. Thank you, PJ, for sharing that. From his life now has come this incredible witness, a testament of the beauty and the reality and the power of Jesus, all covered by grace. All through the years, he was working on you. That was the grace umbrella. We all have this grace umbrella. Maybe today, you don't feel as though you're close to God. You feel like you've been down, you've been out, you've been downtrodden. I'm here to tell you, he's been with you the whole time. And in the midst of that, with Him, by the leading, the prompting, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, joy can come. Overflow can come. When we give today in a faith offering, it's about a sense of worship, an overflow. You know, when I was praying in this last week, the Lord said something to me that I had to double take. It was, I, I sensed Him say, I'm not after their wallets, I'm after their hearts. I'm not interested in trying to get you to give any more. I am interested in trying to have us have our hearts right today. Because naturally when our hearts are right, the wallets follow. I have three daughters becoming increasingly expensive. And they, they try it on all the time. Hi, Dad. They'll snuggle up to me. And I know what's coming. All you parents know. So you dads, we're suckers. But when they have our hearts, oh, we just want to bless. We want to embrace. When our hearts are touched, it affects our wallets sharing a great story about the children's camp. Recently, you would have seen the story of what's happening in Thailand. You heard from Karen about the stuff we're doing in the community. There are many great initiatives. We're doing another church plant. We're sending out um, Karen and Raina. Next year, we're looking to seed some funds for their church plant. So the, these are all great opportunities for God to touch our hearts because it always comes down to the heart. God's far more interested in your heart than in your wallet. But if he has your heart, the wallet just follows naturally anyway. Are you in a season of affliction at the moment? See it as an opportunity for joy. Count it all joy, brothers. Can I be personal with you? I am in a season of absolute uh, affliction. 
And I'm not the only one. I look across the room and I know there are many of us in the same boat. Whether it be stuff happening in family, whether it be happening um, my father just passing away, whether it my sister-in-law almost passing away, whether it's one of my close mates in hospital, um, uh, whether it be we're about to plant another church. You know, th- these are all hard things. But can I just say something to you, brothers and sisters? We should never underestimate the grace of God in moments like this. It's only when we're in the fire that we see him show up. And when we're in the fire, we can end up dancing with him. And we can get out of that fire not even smelling of smoke. That's the grace of God. So may we be governed by his grace and not our works. It's not our effort. It's not our working hard. I can do this. No, we can't. The the, the sooner you and I realize that we surrender it all to him, (laughs) the simpler it becomes. It's all God. And in the midst of that, healthy things come. Fruit is produced. I don't know about you, but I love greenery. I do my best to not kill plants at home, but I do know that they need care and attention. When things are produced from the plant, the things are withering away, dried up, whatever it is, it'll give you an indication of the state of what's going on under the surface, of what's going on perhaps in the heart. What comes from our mouth What comes from our actions or our lives are an indication of what's going on in here. Which leads me to my next point. And it's about the heart. Let's go to verse 6. We urge Titus that he had started. Excuse me, I mean verse 4, sorry Wes. That they were begging earnestly for the favor of taking part. They were begging earnestly. They were begging. They were pleading. What causes some people that are in lack, that don't have resource, what is it that's in their heart that says, please, can we join in with this? They didn't make excuses saying, I'm sorry, it's not a good time. Uh, we've, we've got a big tax bill coming up. Oh, I've just spent all the money on the Christmas shopping. I'm sorry about that. You know, the cost of, of cattle or the grain. Oh, geez, my goodness me. I've just had to sign up again for my Netflix subscription. I, I don't have any money. No, they didn't have, but they said... Please, please, can we join in? We've got to let God move us and flow from us. Let God move you and flow from you. Let it be an overflow. The heart matters. It really does. In Romans, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your it's connected Jesus says in Luke chapter 6 out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks it's all about the heart the heart matters the Macedonians every time I read this I think why do I make excuses where I don't want to serve, I don't want to share, I don't want to sow, I don't want to, 
X, Y, Z. It's usually in the moments that I don't have that I find the most challenge, the greatest opportunity to step out in faith. Check out this quote from uh, a great commentator called Kent Hughes. He says this, The example of the Macedonians is practical proof that true generosity is not the prerogative of those who enjoy an adequacy of means. The most genuine liberal liberality is frequently displayed by those who have least to give. Christian giving is estimated in terms not of quantity, but of sacrifice. What's he saying? It's not about having lots and lots of resource, and that's a measure of your generosity. That's not what it's about, and that's what we can see in the example of the the Macedonians. It's about sacrifice. Again, who does this point us to? Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. It's always been about him, and it always will be about Jesus. We give, and we love, and we serve because he has given, and he has loved, and he has served. How do we know? Because of the sacrifice he gave of himself. They begged. They begged earnestly. Let's go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 35. Um, There was something going on in the hearts of Israel. Again, some background. There is a call to build the temple. Very specific things were required. And we see a call being put out by Moses. I'm going to, just for the sake of time, I'm just going to go through a few verses, okay? I'm going to go through 35 verse uh, 5 to 9. Take from you a contribution to the Lord. This is what he said to the congregation. Whoever is of a reluctant heart, whoever has lots of resource, He says, whoever has a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple, scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, goat's hair. We're not asking for goat's hair today. We can't do much of that, even over in Livingston. So hold on to your goat's hair, people. Tanned ram skins. We'll take that. (laughs) Goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light. Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And onyx stones and stones for setting, for the effort and for the breast peace and it continues on verse 21 then says and they came everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him verse 22 so they came both men and women all who were of a willing heart verse 26 all the women whose hearts stirred them Verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a begrudging offering, a free will offering to the Lord. This is really interesting. This is the bit that gets me. It says in verse 
2 onwards of chapter 36. Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill. Everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. <laughs> they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So that, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses commanded, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Watch this. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from, they were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Hey, that's enough. Stop giving. Stop it, you guys. Please, stop your generosity. We've got enough. Now that's a heart to have. I want that. Lord, touch my heart. Move my heart and flow from my heart. You can give a big amount. You can give a small amount and still have a stinking attitude about it. You think God wants it? He loves a cheerful giver. He loves a heart that's stirred, that loves him, that's worshipful, that's grateful, that's thankful. Do you know, there are three things, uh, amongst other things, that happens in our body when we give something to someone, when we give a gift. Some amazing things happen in our brain. There are three chemicals that are secreted. The first one um, can be spoken of is serotonin. You know, serotonin is a great mood regulator. I need that sometimes. Also, dopamine. Which gives it's that it, that's that happy, pleasurable sensation that we have. Oxytocin is another one, and it creates a sense of connection with others. When we give an offering to God, when God calls that for us, it's for our good. It helps increase connection with Him. It regulates us, and it has that sense of, "Oh Lord, I love you. I'm so joyful to be able to do this. I'm so I'm happy to do this." That's, that's one of the great reasons why he calls for us. He compels, he commands for us to give to him. It's for our good and our relationship with him. Fine, I'll give you my five bucks. That's your cup of coffee. If you've got a bad attitude, keep it. Keep it. God loves a cheerful giver. Turn with me to the next chapter of 2 Corinthians. We'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 very briefly. The heart matters to God. Very, very important. I'm just giving us all a loving reminder today. Verse 6, I'll go from. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And it's a great passage to continue to read on. He loves a cheerful giver. Have you come ready to give cheerfully today? In five to ten minutes, we'll have an opportunity to give. Let's get our hearts right. I had to do a heart check just this last week. I had to do a heart check. So we've been doing these faith offerings for so many years, and we give and we bless and we help so many people. But you can still do that reluctantly. I had a little bit in, in, in my heart this last week. I said, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. But there is a great promise that we just read about. And I'm going to finish with this. There was a great promise that was mentioned. What was the promise we just read? Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. There's a great promise there referring to sowing and reaping. Galatians 6 says this. Verse 7, don't be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Let's pause for a second, I'll read on a little bit, let's pause for a second. In Galatians, it's a beautiful book about the Holy Spirit, moving in the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, but also works of the flesh. Chapter 5 previously talks and juxtaposes the fruit of the Spirit with works of the flesh. And so what Paul's saying now is, is you, 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 don't, you don't want to live according to the flesh. You, you want to live by the Spirit. Let the Spirit do a work in and through you. Let it flow from you. And he's saying, God isn't mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we don't give up so then as we have the opportunity let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith final point is this hold on to the promise and don't lose heart hold on to the promise and don't lose heart there is a promise that what you sow you will reap there's also a promise connected to that That if we don't grow weary in doing what's good, in due season we will reap. But he says, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep doing good. Keep on going. Keep serving. Keep sharing. Keep sowing. Keep loving. Keep forgiving. It doesn't matter how tired you feel, don't give in to that fatigue. Keep trusting God. And when you feel like you're in lack and you don't have much more to give, have a guess what? You have an unlimited supply. You've got an unlimited supply in Jesus. Once you have Him and He has you, you have an overflow that can never stop. 
You might be bombarded day after day after day after day. Don't grow weary in doing what's good, for in due season you will reap. Not in your season, in his season. But I sowed in last week's offering and I haven't been able to pay that bill off this week. Just trust God. Some things take time. Talk to anyone that's done farming. Patience is king. Patience is king. And let patience have its work in you. As you sow in good works, as you sow of yourself, as you sow of your time, as you sow your resource, don't stop, keep sowing and be patient. When there is impatience, look to him. The other thing is don't just be patient, be faith-filled, trust the process. Just because you don't see anything come from the surface doesn't mean there's nothing going on underneath. Some things just take time. Hold on to the promise. And don't lose heart. Recently, in the Middle East, in the Dead Sea region, they found in some of the Dead Sea caves some um, dates, some seeds that farmers had kept, and they estimate, according to carbon dating, between 1,800 and 2,200 years ago. That's approximately, they're saying, they're estimating 2,000 years ago, there were farmers that had some dates that were kept in pots and, and various other storage devices. Do you know what they did with those dates? They carefully took them, they soaked them in, um, in liquid fertilizer and other things, and they managed to grow them. They found out that the seeds were about 30% larger back then than they are now, but they managed to grow these dates into date palms. Those seeds were 2,000 years old. See, a seed is a seed no matter what. In that one seed has the potential. The, the one seed has the potential to do absolutely incredible things. But it was only when they planted it. How often do we hold on to things that we have seen? Maybe it's not resource. Maybe God's given you a word to share, to give, and you're holding on to it. Maybe it's something you've got to give to share to invest into others. Don't hold on to it. As God calls for you, sow it. Sow what you have as God leads you to do it. And you never know. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.